How much do you know about the Lord Jesus Christ? How well do you understand who he is? And what his life and death were all about? I'm not talking about the details of understanding his birth there in Bethlehem, nor how he lived day by day and ministered. I'm talking about looking beyond that, considering who Jesus really is. What the full Christian message is all about. As we come to Philippians chapter 2, we have to bear in mind that the scriptures are not an encyclopedia, not a list of facts and truths, somewhat like we set out in a statement of faith. There are always truths presented in a context and for a purpose. And in Philippians chapter 2, the apostle is calling upon the disciples of Jesus, the saints, the Christians in the city of Philippi. He's calling upon them to have humility, one with another. We see this in this chapter, in the first five verses. Verse 2, there's a call to be like-minded, to have the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. A call for unity. Verse 3, it's about humility. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. And verse 4 is about selfless living. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And in verse 5, the apostle gives us this great motivational thought. He calls upon them to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so it is that we come into this great doctrinal passage. The apostle is taking it as the motive, the supreme example for Christian people of how they should live, what their attitude should be on a daily basis. Unity, humility, selflessness. But I want to focus today on the person of Christ, that we might more fully understand what the scripture says about him, that we might see him more clearly, that there might be a greater influence and effect upon our attitude, our thinking, our daily living. Truth in scripture always has an implication. God has spoken. God has revealed things to us. 
that should affect the way we think and the way we live and the way we talk. So, let us come to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. We're looking at Christ's person. And we note, first of all, his eternal divinity. Nothing could be more important than to start with this foundation. Who being in the form of God. Jesus was always existing. Did not have a beginning. And in his very essence, Jesus is God. John chapter 8 verse 58, Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That called to mind that great revelation to Moses before the bush that was filled with flames but not consumed. When he was told to go, he asked who? Shall I say has sent me? And this great revelation was given unto him. I am that I am. Sent thee. The self-existent one. All sufficient. In himself. So we see the eternal divinity of Christ. Thought it not robbery. The word in the authorized version, robbery, here takes the Greek that Paul wrote in, in an active sense. As saying divinity was his as of right. It was not something he merely pretended to. He wasn't a usurper. It was his by eternal generation. Inherent to him. If we take the underlying word in the passive sense, it has the meaning of Cling on to or grasp on to. As some have rendered it, he did not cling on to his divine position. His equality with God was something he willingly laid aside. This is an emphasis on his Voluntarily laying aside his glory that he did not insist upon being treated 
as God. Both translations are correct and, and tell us something about Christ and his divinity. Let us be sure that we have a clear grasp of who Jesus is. Equality with God. If someone is equal, they are the same. Jesus is and always has been fully God. John tells us that Isaiah spoke about Jesus Christ. In John chapter 12 and the 41st verse, he said, These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. When did Isaiah speak about the glory of Christ? We see that in Isaiah chapter 6 and the first five verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. One cried one to another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Do you know something of that sense of holy awe, reverence at the thought, Lord Jesus Christ? His glory and His holiness. But our text does not stop there. We've seen His eternal divinity. But in verse 7 we read, But made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And so it is that we must consider his full humanity. He made himself of no reputation. A literal translation of this would be that he emptied himself. But he didn't cease to exist. So what did he empty himself of? His position and his glory. In his humanity, he did not display his glory. He had left that position. So it was in the garden that he prayed, John chapter 17 verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
this glory was laid aside. The, the three of the disciples got a, a small glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But to people who saw him, it was not visible at all. And took upon him the form of a servant. And this highlights indeed that it was a change of position. From the heir of all glory, the eternal son, in majesty, he became fully a servant. A lowly babe in Bethlehem. One who came to serve others. Jesus said, John chapter 6 verse 38, I am come to do the will of him who sent me. Above all, He had come to carry out the eternal, the divine plan of redemption. People were looking for a royal leader who would come in majesty and power, who would deliver them from the tyranny of Rome. They got a humble servant. One who had nowhere To lay down his head. He was truly. A servant. Think of his washing. The disciples feet. This was of the lowest actions. He was truly. A servant. And was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man. Think of him. In the womb of Mary. Think of him at his birth. The helpless baby. Consider him. At his baptism. Standing before the soldiers. In the garden. Jesus. Was fully and truly. A man. This. Was. An addition. To what he already possessed. He didn't. Stop. Being the eternal son. To become a servant. To become a man. He took humanity onto him to become the God-man. He added this full humanity to his person. Fully God. Fully man. It's beyond our full comprehension. But we need to grasp that this indeed is what the scripture teaches us. His divinity is what enables him to have come to provide salvation 
His humanity is what enables him to stand in the place of his people. But we must move on. We've seen something of Christ's person. Now we must look at his obedience. He humbled himself. Verse 8 then, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. A true servant is one who's, who is obedient. And the Lord Jesus was obedient to the divine will. And he was obedient even unto death. It's not that he deserved to die. Really, don't we? The wages of sin is death. When death comes to you or I, it is because we're receiving the wages of sin. In Adam, all die. But the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Even Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Jesus came to die because it was part of the divine purpose and plan. He came in fulfillment of the prophetic word. When he came to die, it wasn't visibly as a majestic king or prince, but humbly as a servant. Isaiah 53 verse 2 says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, nor when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And so it was, he came to die. Think of his baptism. John chapter 13 through 15. Think about that for a moment. Baptism, John was baptizing those who repented of their sins. And then Jesus comes and asks for baptism. Verse 13, then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, 
I have need to be baptized of thee. Comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. You see, Jesus had come to be numbered with the transgressors. To be counted as guilty. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Jesus did not deserve to die. But he submitted himself because he was standing in the place of his people. He was being counted guilty instead. Even the death of the cross. This intensifies his death. He died the death of one who was guilty. Guilty before the law. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23 says His body shall not remain all night upon the tree but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day for he that is hanged is accursed of God that thy land be not defiled. Accursed of God. Why? Because they were guilty of breaking the law. Because they had been condemned and sentenced. Hung upon the tree as part of showing that. And so it was that Jesus, so pure, so sinless, the eternal Son, came as a servant and was hung cruelly upon that tree. John chapter 10 verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We've seen something of Christ's eternal divinity. We've seen something of his humble submission. Now we must look at Christ's exaltation. And there's a completeness in the Christian gospel. We come now to see these wondrous words. Verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God. The 
Father. His exaltation. When he was exalted, he was not receiving wages for coming to die. It's not that he added some merit to himself in his sacrifice on the cross. He had equality with God, fully God. But now, you see, the God-man, one person, two natures. It is as the God-man that he was exalted. In his whole self, he suffered. In his whole self, he is exalted. There's a man in the glory. And given him a name which is above every name. In the scriptures, so often we find that the name is a description, a revelation of the character of the one named. The character and their dignity. It represents the person in all. That they are. This is why in the moral law we are told not to take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's to be treated with reverence and respect because it speaks of who God is. And now Jesus' name is exalted in a glory above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things in heaven and things in earth. And things on the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word Lord here is from the Greek word kurios. It's the word that was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint. The scriptures that were used and are often quoted in the New Testament, used by the apostles. And the quote, the reference is from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing here? He's taking the words of Isaiah that refer distinctly and completely to Yahweh, to Jehovah, to God. And he is using them of the Lord Jesus Christ in his exaltation. He is saying that this is the interpretation of Isaiah. It's what Isaiah meant. He is reinforcing his divinity, 
at Pentecost. Peter declared in Acts chapter 2 verse 36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. The name of Jesus is precious, deserving of reverence and worship. Have you bowed before him? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord? Do you see that the King of glory came in humiliation? He lived that life as a man without any glory, without any sin, to be totally misunderstood and cruelly treated, to be sentenced to death. To die on that cross. Do you see your own sin in contrast? Have you cried out unto him for mercy? Do you worship him? Do you live for his glory? Let us have that sense of fear and reverence which we see in John, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. He's given this great revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Dear friend, you have an opportunity today to bow before Christ, to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. One day, you will have to bow before Christ as the judge. Before Christ when he comes to give the judgment and sentence for you as a sinner without hope. Don't delay. Call on the name of the Lord today. Amen.